Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, 104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for, yes, the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Happy Thursday to you. A little warmer today in the Music City. Still a little chilly, but we're getting there. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. I am blessed beyond measure. As I say every night, I hope you recognize that you are as well. Going to have some fun tonight. Remainder of the show, I'm going to talk to you here in this first segment. I want to talk about Kyler Murray here. But as we move into the rest of the show, I'm going to have Jeff Schwartz with me. And we're going to talk about everything going on, all the league headlines in the NFL. Where is Antonio Brown going to land? What's going on with Josh Rosen? What's going on with Kyler Murray? So much to ask him about, plus Game of Thrones and some pop culture I want to talk to him about as well. But let's talk about Kyler Murray. I did not talk about this yesterday, but the Charlie Casserly story and where that has gone. The Charlie Casserly said... You know, I spoke to multiple teams. He actually said at least two teams, which either means two or three, I assume, because you don't say at least two and mean eight. And they suggested that Kyler Murray's interviews were the worst they'd ever seen, that that he was bad on the whiteboard, that he didn't seem to be particularly bright, that he was not a hard worker, all of these things. I don't know whether or not – I'm trying to figure out how you could even know in a 15-minute interview whether or not someone's a hard worker or not. You could maybe determine their whiteboard acumen. But the only thing that I know is with the eye test, Kyler Murray can play football. And he was balancing the idea of playing two sports at a high enough level that he was picked in the first round in both. I'm not saying Charlie Castle is wrong. I'm sure he probably did hear that. The problem is there's a whole lot of anonymous scouts running around saying a whole lot of things that could become fodder. And in this 24-7, 365 media landscape that we live in, it's unsurprising that this has gone as far as it has. And now we've seen Lincoln Riley come back and you know kind of balk at him. We remember Kyler Murray during the Super Bowl, that awful interview he did on the Dan Patrick Show. He doesn't seem to be particularly media savvy. I have not seen him do an interview yet that I've been particularly impressed with. But he's still incredibly young on top of everything else. But we do know that he just won a Heisman Trophy and he was excellent at the University of Oklahoma. And it appears like the Arizona Cardinals might be willing to let Josh Rosen go for a third-round pick just to get this guy because he might be able to run this offense that Kingsbury's going to run that I think is going to fail in the NFL anyway. Not because Murray's running it, but because it's an offense that doesn't really work in the NFL. But I'm on record. I don't think the Kingsbury hire was very good. But if you're going to bring in a new coach that's known for developing quarterbacks, I don't think you brought him in necessarily to develop Josh Rosen if that's not the guy he wants. If you're going to give him the keys to the kingdom, then you've got to let him buy the car. 
You've got to let him buy the house. You've got to let him buy whatever it is that's going to give him the best chance for success. If that's Kyler Murray, that's Kyler Murray. And if Josh Rosen's available for the third-round pick, there's about 20 teams in the NFL that probably need to make a move there or consider making a move there because I don't think Rosen is all of a sudden awful. I think he was in a terrible situation. I don't think he played very well in his first season, but we've seen a lot of guys not play well in their first season and end up being just fine in the NFL, including Super Bowl winners like Eli Manning, for example. But Kyler Murray... I don't know that these things are going to change how you feel about him. And people are going after Charlie Casserly. Charlie Casserly didn't just stand up there and lie. Now, the agent for Kyler Murray has come out and really defended his client because, of course, he has. Lincoln Riley did the exact same thing because, of course, he has. Lincoln Riley wants to make it look like, if you play for me, I will defend you. There's no question about that. And Eric Burkhart, who is his agent, said this to... Pro Football Talk yesterday, quote, my initial reaction was to laugh because I knew the old guard would inevitably try to come up with the usual pre-draft nonsense. But when I later watched this man say what he did, it was over the top and definitely felt personal, and that's when I got bleeped off. First and foremost, Kyler is an exemplary person. He is everything you hope your own son grows up to become. We're talking about a young man who has done everything right and worked relentlessly his entire life to achieve and push for greatness. We're talking about the first human ever drafted in the top 10 in two major sports leagues and who just completed the greatest single season in football history. You will not find even one former teammate or coach at any level in any sport who's played with Kyler Murray who has anything remotely negative to say about him, his leadership, or his work ethic. And then he attacked Casserly directly. So what do I think about an agenda-driven analyst who's never once even talked to Kyler or any of his coaches or teammates? I think it's disgusting and embarrassing, and Casserly should be ashamed of himself. And then, snarkily, the bottom line here is that it calls into question the motives of the man to get on national television and cite anonymous sources on things such as leadership and study habits about somebody he's never met. Look, if you don't like Kyler's game, it's cool. If you don't like his size and want to talk about that, that's fine too. If you're into a Heath Shuler type looking guy, then hype those guys and say why. But when you slander the character and work ethic of a young man who's worked his butt off his entire life and done everything right to put himself in his current position, you'd better cite your sources and come with a better record than 18 and 46 as a GM of the Texans and whose own leadership and accountability has been questioned by his own bosses and colleagues as well as the greatest coach on the planet, meaning Bill Belichick. Okay. So we didn't we hadn't heard a whole lot from Charlie Casserly lately in the media landscape, but we also we have heard from him in the past. 18 and 46. I mean, this is the agent trying to defend Kyler, and you have to defend Kyler here. I don't think that Charlie Casserly all of a sudden has an agenda. The assumption is, or the assertion is, not the assumption. The assertion against Charlie Casserly is he does have an agenda because he wants the Cardinals to pass on Kyler Murray at number one for the sake of the Raiders or whatever else. There's a lot of just rumor and innuendo, to borrow a Conrad Thompson phrase. And we're going to hear a lot of just crap coming from the mouths of a lot of NFL people as we get closer to the draft. People lie a whole lot because they don't want anyone to know their strategy and they want to try and get what they they want to get the best that they can for the for less than expected. That's the same deal. Like I may love whatever it is, just for the sake of argument. I may love this brand new flat screen TV. I still would like to pay fifty bucks less for it, even if I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I would still drive an extra twenty miles to save twenty five bucks on it. 
Like, it's the same deal. You're still trying to get a decent deal there. So if you can undercut and make it look like Kyler Murray's not all that, maybe you can get him for the team that you want and get that one team to go ahead and pass on him. So that's one side of the Kyler Murray story. The other one is, was this dude using some kind of prosthetic clay underneath his foot to make him a half inch taller at the combine because he measured at 5'10 and 1 ace instead of 5'9 and 7 ace in socks like he did back in Oklahoma. First off, I don't care because I, don't, I can't imagine that even half an inch or an inch would stop you if you liked Kyler Murray's game and thought that he could help you win football games. I don't think that that inch is all of a sudden going to make that much of a difference on the football field. Now, it's interesting for me because I worked in pro wrestling for a long time, and pro wrestlers are notoriously given height that they don't have. The Undertaker is not 6'10", for example. The Undertaker wore lifts in his boots and still wasn't 6'10 in them. And that's the key here is he wore lifts in his boots. Now, these guys are not being measured in boots, so they can't get away with that. But guys like Batista, like if you go back and just look at still shots, go just Google your favorite pro wrestlers that were known for being kind of bigger guys, and then just pay attention to the soles of their boots. I mean, there were guys that had three-inch lifts in their boots. There were guys on the independent scene that were working shows with me early in my career that had five-inch lifts in their boots so that they could look like The Undertaker when they were actually around my height, and I'm right at 6'3", but they wanted to be billed at 6'9", so they would clod around and barely be able to move because they had all these things. So I found it interesting that this became part of the narrative, even though I think it's ridiculous, and even though it's happened a couple of times at the Combine where people have like molded clay into their foot to make themselves just a little bit taller. It has happened. I do not think that Kyler Murray is one of the people that would do that because I don't think it matters. It's Andrew Hawkins, former wide receiver. He actually admitted, yeah, I put clay under my foot to make myself taller, and I put weights in my pockets so that I would register as heavier. And there's a scout that thinks that Kyler Murray did the same thing. So Kyler Murray becomes the case. He just becomes a case for everything. He is the speculation. He is the one that's going to move the needle in the media So you're going to hear everything positive and negative about this guy. The media likes him. So Casserly is not really being regarded particularly well right now, not just by Lincoln Riley, not just by Kyler Murray and his agent, but by the media. The media is not real thrilled with Casserly, but it would be funny to believe that considering Casserly's done more radio hits in the past couple of days than he's probably done in the past couple of years. So there could be a motive. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm going to ask Jeff Schwartz about that next. He'll be with me for the remainder of the hour. Stick with us. This is going to be a great conversation. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back in. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Happy Thursday to you. A little bit warmer today. Wasn't in the 30s like it was yesterday. At least it hit 50 at some point. Looks like it's going to be 70 by the end of the weekend. It also looks like it's going to be animals moving two by two in the rain. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're presented by Renner's Warehouse. Glad to have them on board the show. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. You hear them with me every time Clay Travis is out on Fox Sports Radio. I'll kick the coverage. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line in the NFL for eight years, as there's so many headlines going into this new league year, some moves that are about to be made. A lot going on, Jeff. What's up? Oh, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. You know, I'm, I'm in Charlotte. So I'm not too far from Nashville. I'm 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 tired of the cold, man. Like I'm I'm ready to wake up in the morning and not have to put on a sweatshirt and some sweatpants 
like to go outside, take my kids to school. I'm ready for a little bit of warm weather to hit us. Well, I mean, you told me yesterday you were to swim meet, so we're getting there. You know, no, we're, we're inside, getting there. Inside, inside swimming, which uh, is well, which is which is crazy. The I take my kids to swim. They each have their lesson uh, uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. In, in in the indoor pool, it is a sauna. If you ever want to lose more weight, Jason, come to Charlotte, sit in the in the indoor pool area, and just sweat out for an hour. It's unbelievable. It's disgustingly hot in there. I hate it every time I go. So it's like a sauna in there, basically. It's like steam coming yeah. out the water. It's ridiculous. I don't get it, man. It's disgusting. I tried to swim in there one time. It's, Yikes. All right. So Kyler Murray, there's a couple of different yeah. things here. First off, and I saw I love your comment to Pete Prisco on Twitter a couple of days ago when he's like, so people are going after Charlie Casserly, and you just said, have you have you never met Twitter before? Like, just react. It's like, of course they were going to go after Charlie Casserly. What is your take on what Charlie Casserly said when he said at least two teams, which to me means he probably talked to two teams, maybe three. Okay, so look, he obviously was pretty over the top with his criticism or what he heard of criticism for Kyler Murray. And there were other people that corroborated his story, but not to the extent of like worst interview ever by an all-time prospect. But man, nothing triggers NFL media quite like a report of a bad interview of someone that we like or we, we supposedly like. Right. I mean, you know, there was a guy, there was a Florida defensive end who uh, I think uh, Polite or Polite, his last name is. I yeah, Polite, I, I believe. I got that wrong. Yeah, and he supposedly bombed the whole weekend, and it was reported all Sunday, all Monday, and no one cared. But we hear about Kyler Murray, who is a polarizing prospect because of his height and his stature and where he might go number one, whatnot. And he kind of had some weird interviews at the Super Bowl and, and whatnot. And it's, this is, it's one data point in the evaluation process for Kyler Murray. It's funny how whenever we hear an anonymous source say something great about an interview, right? This guy interviewed well. This guy did that. No, no issues whatsoever. But a negative report, do you think Charlie Castle is going out of his way to find negative reports about Kyler Murray? I don't think so. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive to this. Um, but look, it's one data point. Maybe two teams didn't like him. All that matters is Arizona seems to love him. Yeah. The Raiders seem to love him. That's all that matters. But it, nothing triggers NFL media quite like a negative story about a player they like. Um, it's a 15-minute combat interview, and I know his agent fired back what he's supposed to do. I, I don't blame him for doing that, but um, wow, man. This is sensitivity on social media. Yeah, well, that that's nothing new if you've been on social media. The other, There was more controversy, too. I mean, the Casserly thing was one thing, and then the second thing was that there's a random NFL scout, and apparently there's a lot of random NFL scouts that say random things that turn up in the media one suggesting that Murray inflated his height at the combine, and then they went back to the story about the guy that had like clay underneath, and not clay Travis, but clay underneath his foot uh, to 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 add height underneath, almost like a prosthetic heel. I don't know what to say here. All I know is that at Oklahoma he measured at five nine and three quarters, I believe, according to his own SID. They came out and put that story out a couple of months before just to say, no, look, this is legit. And then he wait, then he was five ten and eighth. I don't know why we're scrutinizing it that much. I don't feel like that half an inch or even a full inch should stop you if you think that Kyler Murray can play in the NFL. I don't think that that one inch is going to make that much of a difference. No, it's not. And, and I'll just say this. I, I don't think he was fudging his height at the, at the, at the combine. But we'll say he's one of the few players that I've known that you know had a height concern and ended up being taller than his listed weight in college. 
assuming he listed height in college. I mean, they said five nine and seven eighths in his socks, which obviously you know, might be about an eighth of an inch of thickness of socks, about yeah. how thick your stats are. And then you go to combine, you're two eighths, two eighths taller. Um, look, that's not normal. Um, but do I think anything nefarious was happening? Absolutely not. So maybe the guys in Oklahoma didn't measure quite right. But to me, and to your point, the 207 is more important to me yeah. than it is the than it is the um, is the height. I mean, if he's five nine and seven eighths, or five ten and one eighth, like who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't matter very much. Uh, but I will say, you know, people will compare him to Russell Wilson. If you remember, Wilson lost ten pounds to weigh in at the combine. Murray had to gain like seventeen. So Murray's going to go probably go back down to 195. Um, and speaking about weight, really random. Today they weighed uh, Jim Nagy, who was a senior bowl, went to Alabama today, and they weighed Tua at 230 pounds. Wow. Um, which is uh, obviously fantastic for him, just over six feet tall and 230, which I think that a lot of us thought he was not that big. Um, and that's a huge bonus for him. I know it's, it's next year now, but a uh, huge plus for him. Is he going to go to number one? Do you think Kyler's going to go to Arizona and then pass that? Is Josh? Ro- I saw Robert Mays tweet this out yesterday. Is, is are they shopping Josh Rosen for a third round pick right now? Um. Well, it, it might be all they can get. Um, I mean, wow. that, that's the big part of this. Is, is what, and I said this. I got crushed on Twitter. I was like, look, I go. I don't think he's a first. You're not getting a first rounder for him. The best first rounder I think you have a chance to get for Josh Rosen. I mean, for Josh Rosen would be Washington at fifteen. So they they desperately need a quarterback on a low salary because of Alex Smith's injury. You know, they're paying Alex Smith like twenty million. Year, or the or the or the Redskins just say screw it, we're going to tank for you know two or Justin Herbert or whoever else is uh, is coming out, Easton from whoever else. Yeah. Um, but I just I think Murray's going one for for many reasons. Um, I know there's a prevailing thought that well they they brought in Kyler Murray. Excuse me. They brought in uh, Kingsbury for Josh Rosen. Yeah, I mean that's fair too. But they also brought him in with the number one pick. They knew they had the number one pick, and they knew Murray was coming out. So they definitely could have brought him in to get Kyler Murray. And if Kyler Murray really does, um, you know, is what what Cliff Kingsbury wants, I don't know how you pass on him. The thing about Josh Rosen, why I don't think he fits in this offense, is if they're running a traditional air raid offense, which Kingsbury has moved off of a little bit. Yeah, Josh Rosen, I think, can run that offense. But he doesn't feel to me and doesn't play like a quick kind of short game passer like like you have with the air raid. The issue that I see is Kingsbury cannot run the air raid in the, in the NFL. It does not work. It will not work. It has to be more multiple than that. And I think that Murray's ability to move in the pocket and to use his legs and, and be creative is what, Kingsbury would move to in the National Football League, which is a, a quarterback that can be more creative. Um, and that's why I think Murray fits what he wants to do. Plus, look, if you're going to bring in a new head coach, don't you want to give him the quarterback that he wants? Yeah. Um, you know, if you bring, if you have him stick with Josh Rosen and he plays poorly for maybe two years, then Kingsbury's gone. You're starting over again. So if you can get a second round pick, and Mays, I think, brought this up too, and it's, it's definitely true. The value in Josh Rosen is high. Mm-hmm. If you trade for him, you get like three years of like $6 million a year you know, yeah. for three years. And and a guy who might be graded out higher than both Murray and Haskins, you know, if you grade him last year, uh, coming out of the draft. So I think there's a lot of teams that we have to report. There are a lot of teams going after Rose, or at least calling about him. Uh, I think there's going to be multiple offers as a matter of if Arizona wants to move off of, 
uh, of Rosen for obviously a lot less than they got him for. Well, I mean, if you're a team out there and you're not one of like uh, the squads that has any elite quarterback, why wouldn't you kick the tires on Josh Rosen? I, I mean, he was in an awful situation. I know he didn't play well last year, but it's like people have forgotten that second-year quarterbacks often really shine after looking terrible in their first. Like Eli Manning had a yeah. dreadful rookie year came back and was great, and there are just a litany of guys that had awful... For, I mean, Jared Goff is another example of a guy who had a change of scenery. I mean, he stayed in the same place, but he basically had a change of scenery with who came in and started coaching him. So, I mean, I don't think it's time to completely give up on Josh Rosen. If you're one of these teams that's in the middle of the pack, unsure of your quarterback, I'm at least making a phone call. I mean, even here in Nashville, I mean, are you really looking at a guy like Marcus Mariota and thinking maybe we shouldn't at least look at this? At this situation, um, I would. There's a lot of teams that that I think, yeah, like a, like a, I, a Tennessee, it, it maybe, but like a team like the Chargers that needs an heir apparent for Philip Rivers, a team like like uh, like New England. I mean, there's teams that need kind of him now, like uh, maybe a Miami or uh, Washington, even a Cincinnati, possibly. But yeah, if you have a team that, that has a quarterback that you're thinking about, and look, I guess. If you go get Rosen, if you're the if you're the Titans, you're thinking that you're going to get rid of Mariota after this year, I guess, um, and have Josh Rosen. I, that doesn't feel quite right because Mario is going to play this year, obviously, the whole year. So I'm not sure that Tennessee would would. Well, it's just like it's, I'm just saying he's good enough. Like I mean, like you you have yeah. to have an elite quarterback, or you would at least like look at and consider it. Now I agree with you because Mariota is definitely going to play this year, and then you have to make the decision whether you're going to pay him. That's not the right spot, but it's not like. It seems like there are a lot of potential destinations for Josh Rosen just based on the fact that there are a lot of non-elite quarterbacks, and we don't oh, yeah. know enough to say that that dude's a bust. Not at all. Agreed. So I think that there's going to be a huge market for him. It's just a matter of, of obviously, does Arizona want to move him or not? More with Jeff Schwartz coming up next. I want to ask him about Jason Witten. That all uh, still to come. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. So- Back on a Thursday, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Joined by Jeff Schwartz here. We had him last segment. If you missed any of that, Big Six with Jason Martin. That's where you can subscribe to the podcast. Do it through your podcast. Catcher a choice. Get the show however you want, whenever you want, 24-7, 365. Talked a lot of NFL there. We're going to do that as, uh, as we go forward here. And you can follow Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. What do you think about as someone that's done some broadcasting? But, you you know, this is the thing. Like, Jason went and leaves, and he goes back to the Cowboys. That seems like a move to eventually move into coaching. The broadcast thing, just it wasn't for him. And not everything is for everybody. But Jason Witten gets thrown off the field directly into the most known booth in sports history in Monday Night Football. He doesn't have any kind of a learning curve at all. He doesn't work on ESPN3. He's not doing, you know the FS2 broadcast of like the Division 5 whatever championship to kind of get good, he's immediately thrust in this national conversation. And a lot of times he just didn't offer much from an analyst perspective. He said things that seemed patently obvious to anybody watching these games. It was just, I feel like this was the right move for all involved. Supposedly ESPN wanted to bring him back. And they were a little peeved that he left because they had kind of stuck their neck out of the line to bring him back. Um, it, it was clear when didn't like this job. Um, 
you know, he was in Dallas where he's beloved, you know, maybe future Hall of Famer. Even though, you look at his numbers, though, it's interesting. Um, his, his the advanced numbers kind of comparisons aren't very good, but his his bulk of his numbers are pretty good, so he'll probably get in the Hall of Fame. And this makes a lot of sense. He goes back, he can get into coaching, get out of the, the limelight. Um, you know, I would be okay if it was Tessator and Booger up there. I think Booger, when he got back in the booth, was was actually not bad. Um you know, obviously you can add, you know, put Dan in there, Greg Olson, whatever. But this is another, you know, another situation where something I've dealt with in the media. I've talked about it. So I don't mind talking about uh, openly about this. But like, you know, in the NFL and a lot of jobs, uh, you know, your your work is what gets you, um, you know, gigs, right? So like, if you're an NFL, uh, you're a good player, you'll play, right? I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, the media game kind of is is who you know, uh, what's your status in your career, you know, you win a Super Bowl, you're Jason Wynn, you play in the Cowboys for 15 years, and you immediately get a gig. It doesn't mean you're good at it, but they're much more willing to let a guy who has a brand name that might not be good at something than a guy like a Lewis Riddick who, I mean, he's known now, but I don't know how nationally known he is outside of football or like a casual fan knows who Lewis Riddick is. But Lewis, I mean, he'd be fabulous at it. Yeah. So would Dan, I think. You know, Greg Olson, I think uh, he seems to to be better at this already than Jason Wynn. I mean, so you know, sometimes it's better, I think, in my opinion, to hire the guy who's good at his job, um, who instead of the guy who's who people know that might not be as good. When you're saying Dan, you're talking about Orlovsky. Just to point yeah. that out for yeah. the people listening, the guy that I keep suggesting, the guy that I want to see get the job, and I think Riddick would be great as a third man in the booth. I think Orlovsky could be too. Kurt Warner's who I would try to get. Personally, I think Kurt Warner's gotten awesome. so much better over the last few years. I think he would be perfect in that role. Have you ever heard him? On, on the, he does the Westwood one for Monday night. Yeah, he's he great is, on the radio. He's fantastic. We really, we we have those games here on the station. He is really good. I would be uh, down for Kurt Warner having that gig. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. Chiefs, let's talk about the Chiefs, and then we'll talk a little bit about Antonio Brown. The Chiefs, D Ford franchised. Houston, like they're they're making some moves right now, and then Eric Weddle gets let go out of Baltimore. There's a couple of other guys out there. Chiefs got to go get some guys defensively so that they can really become the favorite that most people believe they should be based on the offense. Yeah, they need to go ahead and get themselves Weddle or or Collins. Um, yeah, Landon Collins, that, right? Or or I mean, look, I guess I guess Honey Badger, Teron Matthew. You know, there's a there's a possibility you can do that too. Um, but you 100% have got to go get yourself um, some of these players. There's no doubt about it. Your defense is your number one priority right now, and you need to go ahead and get it done. Antonio Brown, every time I talk to you, we we just try to wonder what exactly he's doing. He goes on the shop. He goes on with Jeff Darlington on Sunday, and he talks about how he doesn't need the game. It's going to be done by his rules. I can't believe what I've watched from Antonio Brown, and I saw what Chris Carter had to say about disrespecting him, and Larry Fitzgerald saying that Antonio Brown doesn't know how good he's had it with Ben Roethlisberger as his quarterback, and Larry Fitzgerald can speak to that, seeing as how he's had 19 different quarterbacks in his career, and I would say maybe two of them are worth actually mentioning in this conversation with Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. Antonio Brown, where do you think he is potentially going to end up, and... Have you somehow lost even more respect for him, or are you just kind of where you were before? Like, at this point, he seems so toxic. I just don't know whether or not if I'm a general manager, I want that guy on my team. I'm so torn because I know how talented he is. And, I mean, Tennessee's one of those teams looking at him. And it's hard to say don't go after Antonio Brown because, I mean, Jeff, he's Antonio Brown. Well, 
that's why um, that's why there's not a lot of teams I think that are vying for him right now. That's why you've seen you know a lot of teams say, ah, I'm, I'm going to pass or uh, you know just not for me. I mean, it, to me, it'd be very tough if you are a team with a young quarterback. I mean, excuse me, with a veteran quarterback to go get a guy who's just outspoken about you know, what happens if things don't go well. In the, on his next team, um, what happens if he doesn't get the ball like he wants? I mean, some of the stuff he said, um, I think, really turned teams off. You know, the idea about not wanting, you know, I don't need football. I yeah. Mean, yeah, yeah, you made a lot of money, you don't. But, dude, I mean, this is a game of, of passionate players, man. If you want to, if you want to play, if you, then you want to play. If not, then, then sure. But when you say things like that, you better be able to back it up. You better, you know, I don't think you can. I don't think he'd ever sit out. Um, and then I, he said something with Jeff Darlington at ESPN that I thought was like, like I'm going to go somewhere that, like, basically I can, I can do what I want. You're a wide receiver, bro. Good luck. You're not valuable, all right? You're a very good player. You might be a Hall of Famer one day. But there's this reason why it's the Niners and the Braiders and the Redskins looking at you and not the Patriots. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But, I mean, the thing about it is, I mean, the Patriots have taken on – trouble guys at that position. I mean, they had Josh Gordon this past year. They've had Chad Ochocinco. They brought in Randy Moss and it worked out. So just the fact that maybe they're not even thinking about Antonio Brown tells you all you need to know because they could certainly use a weapon on the outside as well. I just can't believe it's gotten this bad because, I mean, that guy has Hall of Fame talent and he still seems to have plenty left in the tank but every time he opens his mouth it seems like he's just, just fine tanking trade value that much further and getting more general managers to hang up on Kevin Colbert? Um, you know, I... You know, the mediums he's, cho- he's choosing, like, he goes in the shop, right? And yeah. a bunch of basketball players who are much different leverage situations than NFL players. And they make more money, they have different leverage, and he goes on there just, like, says all this crazy stuff, and everyone just laughs at him. And is like, yeah, man, like, cool. Like, yeah, you're right. But, man, it doesn't work like that in the NFL. You're trying to break the mold. I get what you're trying to do. Le'Veon Bell tried this too last year. It didn't work. The Steelers were not going to pay him as a hybrid. Um, and these are situations where I wish you guys were so passionate about this for CBA it matters, right? I mean, like if you work a better CBA out, then you might be able to get more compensation, different type of contracts. But instead, we go on TV and we yuck it up and whatnot. I get it, man. You won't get your word. Something was funny. I thought the part about – they bent throwing the ball to the the, 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 the D tackle was pretty funny. Yeah. But it really that didn't do him it didn't it didn't make him more desirable to anyone else. Um and he seems to take no responsibility whatsoever for missing, you know, practice for three days before the biggest game of the season. Jeff Schwartz, my guest here on the big six. Jeff, you played for the Giants. The Giants are gonna pay Eli Manning. They let Landon Collins go. Seems like Odell, they're trying to move Odell. So from two questions here, one, what exactly are the Giants thinking short-term and maybe long-term? And then secondarily, what is to these thoughts about Odell potentially going to Cleveland, which that's a team that's going to be really fascinating and entertaining to watch over the next handful of years? Um, I don't think the Giants know what their plan is, honestly. Um, you know, I get, look, if you look at the the amount of players they've kept for second contracts in like the last 10 years, it's, ast- it's like eight. It's astounding how many, how little they keep their own talent. And we've seen that that's how you win in the NFL. You keep your own talent. And then obviously when Landon Collins walked, they went Justin Pugh walk and Weston Richburg walk and they traded JPP and all these guys. And 
don't know what they're doing. They should have cut Eli Manning. Look, I love Eli. I love playing there. He's not a good quarterback anymore. They're going to blame you know they blame the offensive line all the time. They're going to keep doing it next year. You have to you have to be done with it. Um, if they don't cut him, you got to draft Dwayne Haskins at six if he's there. So, what do they have a plan? I don't even know what they're doing right now. What about Cleveland side of it? If they were to get Odell, what would that mean for them? Well, I mean, we know what it would mean. I mean, because we know how great Odell is. But Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, you've already got Landry, at least for the time being, and you've got Odell, and you've got this young defense, a, a pretty talented offensive line. We'll see how Kitchens does. I kind of think that yeah. might work out. Like, I, I really like what John Dorsey is doing right now. It would seem odd for John Dorsey to trade for another wide receiver. Um <coughs> doesn't seem like a lot of value in that, but, I mean, you have a lot of draft picks, I guess. You might as well go for it. I mean, I, I, I would trade for Odell over Antonio Brown, but yikes, I'm not sure I'd trade for another wide receiver. Jeez. Yeah, because they've already committed so much money so to Andrew. that position. As a, Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, yeah, it's 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 really strange there. One other NFL question. Foles, if, the, if Jacksonville was where he ends up, uh, we saw the story, and then they pulled back on the story. I still think that's probably where he ends up. How much better does yeah. he make them than they are right now? I mean, I think he's probably worth a couple games that Bortles is not. But, I mean, they're going to have to well, pay him a lot of money still to get yeah. him. I mean, it's the consistency factor. I think you can get more consistent with, with Nick Foles. I'm not sure Nick Foles will be the same player that he was um, in Philadelphia. I just think that Philadelphia was set up really well with the structure they had there, the offense they had, and whatnot. But you're going to get consistency with him. I don't think you're going to have the ups and downs with Blake Bortles. And you have a guy, too, that can win you football games. I'm not sure Bortles was a quarterback that really won you football games. He was, he was okay in games. Maybe a couple of throws. Nick Foles will go out and win you some football games. So I think he definitely is worth a couple wins for them. I'm going to finish up the show. I'm going to keep Jeff for one more segment. Stick with us. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Second of the program, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I got Jeff Schwartz with me. He played in the NFL for eight years on the offensive line. Now does work for SB Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz. We are brought to you, by the way, by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. So I'm starting. It actually, we taped it today. I don't know if it's going to release tonight or it may release tomorrow. We're doing a month of office podcasts here at the zone i just finished doing a month on friends and now we're going to do a deep dive into all nine seasons of the office i know that you're a gigantic fan of the office i may actually get you to join us for one of these later on we're going to try and get a couple of guests from the cast also to come on and do this with us but tell tell me why the office is something that you love so much um i think it's just first of all the steve carell is is brilliant, right? I mean, obviously after the first season, they decided to kind of soften him a little yes. bit and let him kind of be, you know, the, the butt of the jokes and kind of be a sympathetic figure, right? In season one, his hair was slicked back and he was like the tough guy in the office and yeah. just didn't play right. And to me, just the awkwardness of the sh- of Steve Carell's character, man, it is, it, it, it's so, it's like, you watch, I've watched every episode 10 times. It's just the awkwardness of his, of his interactions with other people, it just makes you cringe even watching. And obviously, you know, Jim and Pam and, and, and Dwight and, and all those characters, I think they all equally have their own roles. And they do their roles so well. Um, and it has, you know, obviously human elements of it with relationships and heartbreak and, and happiness and fortune. And, you know, good things happen to characters, bad things happen. Um, 
I just I think it encompasses everything. And plus, I think a lot of people that do have day jobs have people like those people in that office. And I obviously didn't have a day job that's normal, um, but we had people that were the goofy ones and the strange ones and the the ones that were the romantic type. And you you know you had a Kelly that was like over the top and emotional and celebrity gossip person, right? I mean, you just these characters are all I think brilliant and. The writing was great. I thought the flow was great. Look, people will kind of crap on season eight and nine. I think there's some value in those seasons. There's some good episodes. I mean, the last two, I thought, in season nine, the finale. Oh, the yeah, AR they were great. Was, they were absolutely great. Was fabulous. The ARM was like going back to the old days of The Office. But um, I just thought it just it incorporated everything you want. It was funny. I mean, like, it just it was everything you wanted, I think, in a television show. Um, it's our favorite show. I mean, by far, it's probably a lot because I like Game of Thrones, but. Um, it, I've watched it, like I said, at least 10 times through. Parks and Rec is close. I've probably watched that about five times through. Yeah, see, I'm more of a Parks and Rec guy than an Office guy. Parks and Rec is one of my two, three favorite shows of all time, but I, I love The Office, and, and going back through it's a lot of fun. I, I'm going to have to determine whether or not I can actually stomach the Scott's Tots episode, which I still <laughs> think is so maybe awkward, the right? hardest episode to watch of any television show I've ever seen. Because it's the awkwardness, right? Like You're like... You're like you, you, you root, the thing about it too, I think, is because they soften Michael Scott's character up a little bit, like you root for him, Absolutely. right? Like you feel like you have a, like, I think that's part of it too, is you have a best, like, I like, like, I like Shameless, right? And like, you feel like, I don't know if you watch Shameless, mm-hmm. like nothing, like nothing ever good happens, right? Like every, you know, twice a season, Fiona has a good episode and you're like, but you like the character so much that you root for her to get, you know, something good to happen to her, right? I think with the office characters, is they're all kind of likable, and you, especially Michael, and you root for Michael, like you root for him to like be with Holly, right? You root for him to like get the new job. You root for him to do do all these things. I mean, same with Dwight, right? Like you just you start rooting for these characters because they they seem so real, and so that's I think mean, part of what makes that show uh, so great. So Scott's toss is just so awkward oh. because you know because you know Michael, and, and obviously we're talking about a TV show like it's real. Like real people, but like, you know, Michael has a big heart, right? Like you know that he kind of he meant to do well, but that he obviously he obviously he's not going to pay for scholarships for twenty or twenty kids, and then the batteries and like the last thing he's like, don't cash these like until until the start of the school year. Um, and Stanley's laugh too, the start of that episode was just amazing, and so um, oh man, and then you, you add in like Ed Helms to play Andy. Um, I mean, my favorite season was season three when when they first introduced him. The Call of Duty was stuff was great. Oh my god! And um, I just you know one of my this is a low key one of my favorite my favorite uh, things that seen to that show. It was the it was the last episode of the finale when Meredith was like, I was getting my PhD in like education and no one talked about it. I just <laughs> thought it was like it was just great because. Like for that one little moment, you seem like a normal human, like not a drunkard. And I just thought it was really, really funny how they just kind of like snuck that in. I don't know why I thought that was funny. Like just like snuck that in at the very end. Yeah, one of the things that that I know we're going to talk about a lot is just the redemption stories of a lot of characters in that show right. that go from people that you can't possibly like to just evolving into real human beings that have emotions that draw you in. And Michael Scott, I think, is the key example. If he had been the same guy he was in season one. All the way through, no way it would have gotten nine years. First of all, oh no, no, it it was making Steve Carell relatable buffoon guy who then you started to root for, feel sorry for, and then actually you got to watch him triumph 
as more the everyman that that I think made that show. So speaking of triumphs, Sunday at Augusta is the same day as the Game of Thrones premiere. I know you mentioned that you and your your brothers read all the books. Absolutely yeah. loves it. Uh, maybe someday I will. I've owned them for many years and have never like made it more than fifty pages you're into them. But how, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you to finally get this thing done? I, okay, so many things in life, the hype doesn't live up to to an actual right. product, right? And I feel like this is one of those cases where it's going to be the opposite. Like I, like they've said that it took eight months to film like one fight scene because it cost like a bazillion dollars, and had to, I mean, like it's going to be. Unbelievable. I'd say one, one question was answered in, in the last, uh, which is that John will be on one of the dragons. I mean, that was one of the questions I think we had. Mm-hmm. It seems fairly obvious that that was pretty much answered, right, in the preview. Um, and I just, there's the odds tell you that John will be on Iron Throne to end the show. But see, Bran has the third best odds. Yeah, Bran's so the one everybody's talking about right now. That's always been kind of the question, right? Is what is Brand's role? Because he's been basically out of the show for like four years, four yeah. seasons. Um, is what is his role going to be? Because is he controlling the Night King? Is he does he does he know everything that's going to happen? Right? Is he actually controlling the whole show and the whole world? Um, and but I could definitely see too, like because of the way the show has gone, where the, where the White Walkers just come down and just kill everybody, and then the show ends. I mean, I could, there's many different ways. I can see this, and that's why I think the brilliance of the show is that the really, the real, there's no, what we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, like, they no idea, and because there's been so many twists and turns where characters have died, and and um, you know, John like, came back to life. I mean, like, what if they kill John and, and he just comes back to life again? I mean, like, who, like what's like? It just, it's just so many. What if he is? What if the Night King is a Stark and they become like boy? Like, what? Like, I don't yeah. know. It's crazy, dude. Do you have Do you have a prediction? Do you have anything at all, like in terms of, or or maybe not even just a prediction, but if you can't go yeah. that far, do you who do you, who would you like to see so, be on the Iron Throne when this thing closes its final curtain? So I think what happens is, um, uh, I think that it ends with so if you if you kill one of the kings, right, and then their followers immediately die, right? Yeah. So if if John kills the Night King, then they then they win the war essentially, right? I mean that's how I think the war ends. Is he kills them now? I don't know how, um, but that's I think how it ends. If you remember all the way back in season one or two, uh, Khaleesi was at the the, the 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 house of the undead. Remember that like way back, and she had a vision of the, the Iron Throne in snow. Yes, and like. So I wonder how that, that's a long time ago. I wonder how that plays a role in like how this ends. I've always thought about that. Like that was a, a big foreshadowing moment in my opinion. Um, but I think John eventually kills on that King. And then that's how kind of the show like is finished. Game of Thrones of the office. You could only watch one. Oh, the office. All right. I wasn't sure I where you're going to go there. I, I just think that it's like, I can I can just watch it in the background, right? I can just have it on every show. There's something happening. There's something to laugh at. You know, with, with Game of Thrones, you might have like four episodes where really nothing happens. Yeah. No, uh, like, like I said, I wasn't sure where you were going to go there, but it's a, it's a, it's always entertaining. And um, yeah. are you going to be here for the draft? Uh, no. Not going to make uh, it up here I'll, for the draft. I'll, I'll be at Bristol actually for ES, doing some stuff for ESPN. So. Well, not a bad thing. You gotta, yeah, no, you gotta make that money. All right, Jeff. So it's always a pleasure. I'm sure we'll. Uh, I'm gonna get you on one of these office casts. 
in a couple okay, of weeks with it. us. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's do it, man. Sounds good. That's Jeff Schwartz, my good buddy. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Schwartz. Super Office fan, Super Game of Thrones fan. That's it for us tonight on the Big Six. Again, you heard it. Pop Six, the Office edition begins. Rhett Bryan, David Reed will join me for the next month as we go just deep diving through this series. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you have not subscribed to the Pop Six, go ahead and do so. You can do it the same way you subscribe to the Big Six. Pop Six with Jason Martin through Apple, through wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and you'll have that updated as soon as we release it. Maybe tomorrow, probably will be tomorrow. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Also, new Big Six tomorrow. We'll see you then. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.